Your Promise Podcast with me, Ant Lyons. And me, Ian Harrod Owen. Hello. Hello. So all the bits off there we're not allowed to say because I swore loads just now talking <laughs> about the joys of developing properties. And our, our guest today, our returning guest today, is also going to be from, forbidden from dropping the F-bomb as well, although he's, he doesn't do it anywhere near as much as me. Uh, prolific property uh, investor developer, uh, my good friend, uh, Carl Spencer. So hi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. F- definitely a few more grey hairs than the last time we spoke. Definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So kids, property, business, guaranteed to age you. Decades, decades within weeks. Yeah, yeah. That was that definitely wasn't in the book that I read, but we'll mm. yeah. No, perhaps we'll write that book and bottle this as a formula. So um Okay, so we did the podcast last year and it was all about um really your transition from sort of it, it, working in as an investor in, in the investment area to uh, uh, transition into a full time, full blown developer new builds mm. uh and so today we're going to find out you know how that's how that's going you know a year on um, and yeah. the, the warts and all truth of, of what it's really like and this is our how to so if you are listening to the podcast um and you've ever thought about uh becoming a developer looking at new build developments then this is the one to put you off not really yeah, don't, not, do it. don't do it don't do it don't do it <laughs> No, really, this is, this, is, this is the truth. This is how, how it really works, how it really happens. And we're going to cover loads of stuff today from assessing sites and um, you know, putting it together, the power teams, who you have, your role in it, uh, uh, how you finance them, um, the managing the build project, managing multiple build projects, and then the joys of selling them at the end of it, um, which you know, can, be, can be tricky because... There's not that many things you can do to influence that market, but we will come on to that later on. So um, a, for those people who missed the previous podcast um, interview, um, a brief background of, of, of you, Carl. So keep it brief. Um, I worked for a Progressive Property that I'm sure some of you uh, will be familiar with um, for about three years. And then when I left there in 2014, I wanted to... Uh, go off and do property and, and all of the stuff that I'd learned and heard about, got motivated, motivated by, inspired by, and so on. Um, and rent to rent was my chosen strategy that I chose to adopt. And that was originally on HMOs, and then subsequently after that went to service combination. And that, I'd done that for about two and a half, three years, something like that, with my old business partner Lee. And then what I found, and I'm not knocking that strategy, but then what I tend, I read a really good book called Zero to One by um, Peter Thiel, the uh, owner of PayPal, co-founder of PayPal. And what I found really interesting with that book was that if you do something that is almost like of a diminishing return, now service combination isn't that necessarily, but what I found was that in a block of apartments, if somebody put, got a service combination right next to you uh, and they put on for less, it's inevitable that your price is going to come down. That's what we found. That was our experience. I know it isn't for everyone. And, but what we found is we were, we were kind of making less money, not more, the more that we got. And Peter Thiel talked a lot about having a business that has the largest moat around your business. So it has a larger point of entry, whether it be financial, whether it be difficulty, and once you have that, it means that you've generally got less com- competition. More people will try it and give up much sooner. And there's only so few that will continue. And obviously, PayPal was a uh, anomaly. That was something that's got its own unique place. And of course, subsequently, others then started to follow suit. But that, for me, was hit me like a, a sledgehammer. And it was like, well, hang on a minute. Let's look at development. But don't just look at it as one deal. Let's look at it for the next 10 years. What does that look okay. like? So, so your advice there is to find the most difficult business to go into. <laughs> probably, probably not. <laughs> but, yeah, probably not. But, but from the financial resources point of view and the complexity, you know, any, you, know you, you and I know that if we wanted to go out and buy a house tomorrow in inverted commas below market value, every man and his dog will do it. Yeah. So that was that was really it, really. It was like falling in love with the complexity because if you do that for long enough, then... That was the, uh, so time will tell, but it's, um, but it's fantastic fun. I mean, development, if you love it and you're in it and, you know, you surround yourself and in it all the time, it's fun. That gives me a much more 
rewarding outcome. Short term, nowhere near than what rent to rent service combination gives you. Obviously, that's more of a cash flow, immediate three to six month gratification, where development, as we know, isn't. But the, yeah. the rewards for so, me are much, much larger. So, so in, in some way, shape, or form, because of the nature of development, you know, lesson number one, rule number one is you've got to pay the bills on a monthly basis. So you need another strategy or a strategy within that business to be able to pay yourself, you know, put food on the table, pay the bills and, and all that sort of stuff. Because otherwise these, everyone thinks oh, you'll be a year in and out, but they definitely look going longer these projects, don't they? Yeah. There's also a different way of structuring it. Like, you know, if you, um, if you partner up, which is what obviously what I've done. It's not just me. I think that a lot of us do this, but a lot of us don't necessarily think about doing it this way because if you have business partners, you're diluting your money you're making and so on. You know, there's, there's, a, there's all that element to it. But for me, it was more business partners means less personal risk. And we'll talk about, talk about that, that stuff as we go through. But what it allowed us to do was that Ben, one of my business partners, he has a very, very good job anyway and is a director of a very, very large uh, construction firm in London. So he's okay. Emmanuel, my other business partner, he's okay financially too. Uh, but Carl was the person that needed cash flow because um, I'm giving up X strategy to go and move into development. So what a good way of doing that is that um, I get cash flow through the projects. So in, in, in essence, what happens is that the banks and the um, will always pay for a project management. You can put that into the appraisals with the, uh, the facility agreement with the banks. So they're going to pay someone that project management fee. So in essence, there is a way of you've been able to, to put in a project management cost that can come to one of you, if that makes sense, i.e. to me, that allows me to be paid on a monthly basis. So it's a good way of the projects themselves. It just means that your, your proportion of your profit is being paid a little bit early, if that makes sense. So it's a, it's, it's a half-decent way of managing it. So yeah. do you actually project manage the, the bills then? No. Um, so it's a, a kind of, I, I, so there's, within the business, there's three roles. So you've got Manny Rowe, who's the financial director. You've got Ben, who's the CEO. That's the position that he plays. So it looks at everything on the top level. And then you've got myself, it's the operations director. So it doesn't necessarily mean that I manage the projects on a day-to-day basis, but it allows me to be responsible for that element of the business. So we've got uh, design and build contracts with a few of the developments. So the contractor's taken all of the risk and he takes all of the design element, but that still needs managing. So it needs monitoring every month, every day, a check-in once a week. Where are we? Are we on programme? We also have another layer between that, which is a independent QS and project management company. And what that then does is it sits between me, us, and the contractor. And what they then do is they manage all of the bits that need joining up. So I have a really good friend of mine who does that as his business. And he always describes himself as a marriage guidance counselor between the client and the, and, and the contractor. hundred percent. It's a cost. That's the thing yeah. to get our head around for obvious reasons, which was blimey. We didn't know that was the cost, but you get leverage if you give them more than one job, but you don't want to give them too many because they get over-resourced. If they've got their own clients too. So that's a delicate balance. Um, but if you get a good one, they'll take a lot of the heavy lifting off, you know, because the design element is has been our biggest challenge. So between once we purchase it and before you put the first spade in the ground, that for us has probably been our biggest challenge. Getting everyone and, to communicate, but we'll come on and, and, and that's from getting, you know, because you're using a design and build contract. So essentially you're handing across a blueprint for it and saying, that's what you're building. Correct. So you have... So you have a certainty of build cost in there. Yes. To a degree. To a yes. degree. Right, yeah. We'll talk later on about why not. <laughs> yeah. 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 But we're you know, certainly we're... we're doing a mixture. So we're actually doing five developments all at the same time. And we're doing we we're doing some on CM, which is a where we pay directly to the trades through a construction management route, and we've got some on the design and build. So we're experiencing both methods. Yeah. Okay. okay. Great. Now now let's Talk about the types of projects you do. And we're going to talk about the case studies in, in detail a little bit later on. So um, in terms of size and scale, you and I have sort of mutual friends that are out there doing 500 apartments at a time. Um, and then there's people who are doing like one plot. Uh, you know, where, where, where do you fit and why? So 
first thing was to have a bit of history to this. When I first started getting into property development, I think the natural thing is, and I've spoken to so many people that think the same, I'm just going to start small. I'm just going to look at two or three projects, or th- sorry, th- two or three houses or flats. <laughs> start small, do two or three projects at the sorry. time, it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thanks for picking that what up. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Just start small, you know. Um, and t- t- two or three uh, plots. And the problem is with that is that um, unless you're handy, unless you're a builder yourself, that that does serve, which I've got contacts that do the same, they're the people that deal direct with the trades. They're physically maybe got a building background. For them to do two or three houses can financially work out really quite well. You know, they can make 50, 60,000 per unit profit you know if you do it that way nice income do maybe one or two of those a year you make 150 or so 2000 200,000 pound a year nice income and you're managing it all yourself the downside to that is if you're not if you're like me that can barely put a picture up on the wall um that that doesn't really serve well to be doing that because there's no there's not enough room in there for the seller the bank the builder and us so uh and also it's a distraction if there's three of us and you're maybe making £150,000 profit, by the time you take your tax off, even if you get entrepreneurs relief, if you're lucky to do that, there's not a lot left between you. So we have to sort of think about where is our strategy. So when I first started, two or three, I was, in fact, our first project was to build one barn conversion. And it was a, a farm that we bought. So there's a house at the front. We sell off that one for the same money we bought it in theory. And we have this profit on this barn at the back. Reality is we sold the front house for less and we lost £40,000. That was our net result after 18 months work. So that was my experience of doing one or two units. Now, we then went on to think, well, hang on a minute. This is, think this, this is before the current entity of Broadwing. This is before that. Then I started looking at, well, hang on. If I start to go to five or six units, what space does that operate? Five or six, maybe even up to 10, which is under the affordable housing bracket. The big developers don't touch it. It's like not even worth their while. If it's 400, £500,000 profit, then this doesn't even tick any boxes. However, it's way, way too big for these self-builders. This is going to take too long for them to do it. So I started getting more traction. Once I started doing that, but what I found was, although I'm getting more traction with the developments I was finding, the biggest hurdle I was facing was that people selling them thought that they were going to be selling them to the large developers. So they wanted to sell them for too much money. So what came with one benefit also come with a lot more managing expectations and educating. And when I first started, I didn't have that education. So, so the, the issue there is that, yeah, that the, prop, the plots are overpriced, yeah, because of that. Because they think, I'm selling this to Persimmon or whoever, and they'll make a small margin on each one. But, but you know, we're smaller than that. It's okay if you're building 2,000 houses not if you're building five or ten, yeah? 100%. Yeah, that, that's what I really found was, was tricky. And then, um, but nine or ten, depending on the location, is an in and out within a 12-month period, generally. You know, this is ten-month build, nine, ten, maybe 11 months to build, and around six months to eight months, depending on the type of product you're building. So that's what we found was we just generally started to get more traction. Now, obviously, different locations started to represent different amounts of money that we could make from eight to nine to ten units. And, you know, we're doing a site in Pearly Croydon and one in Acton, and then we're doing one in Huntingdon, all of which are nine or ten units. But they all have got different elements of profit because they all represent different numbers and values. Hmm. But, is, your, is your build cost differing very much across those as, as well, yeah? Yeah, really, really quite large, yeah. Hmm. Um, and it depends on which route you go. You know, if you go the CM route, I know we'll talk about that, but your build costs are going to be lower because you're cutting out the builder's margin. Yeah. Um, so that can work out well. But yeah, there is a big difference. Um, but oddly, uh, yeah. on a project in Peterborough that we were uh, we were going to do, in the end, it just never came off. The, 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 the GDB never stacked up um, for 50 apartments. And oddly, we got... Uh, local building firms all around Peterborough. So but, uh, 50 units, obviously, as we know, we've got to talk to a different size of building firm. And we had quotes of around 5.8 million, 5.4 million, something like that to build. We went to a London company that we're currently, that's currently building our 
uh, 10 apartments in Acton, West London. And they came back at 4.4. So it's not necessarily location. It's if a building firm, what we found that if they have got really good history with building out apartments, but not necessarily big houses, then they're expert, experts and they're, what they're willing to take risks on in their PC sums is a lot less than someone that hasn't done it. And uh, obviously around Peterborough, we're talking smaller, smaller building firms. There's not that many that are building 50 to 100 apartments. I'm talking new builds, yeah. generally. Yeah. That makes sense. So uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of where I found the big differences were. So you, you, you've definitely not sort of married yourself to one contractor then, have you? You are, it's very much, I, I guess, going out to tender and interviewing them and understanding who's the best partner for this for this. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. We're also to throw in the mix, by the way. We're having an extension built on the house. <laughs> yeah. So I'm literally living in the building site at the same time. I'm doing the same thing. I'm literally doing the same thing. I'll send you some pictures in a minute. So, oh, uh, I'll yeah. I've looked at all the concrete turning up outside here. And, yeah. <laughs> so, um, the, um, okay, so you're, you're, you're working with different builders and the appropriate builder for the, the appropriate project. So, you're looking for a track history of, okay, have you done 10 apartments before? Have you done 20 apartments before? Let me see what you, you've done. Because they're all going to interview well and say, yes, we can do that, I guess. So. Mm, yeah, exactly. Okay. Now, in terms of the – so we, we, you've sort of you know, nailed down the size of the projects that you're looking at in terms of the number of units. It stays under that you know, affordable housing, the Section 106 contributions well, and well, so forth. Well, what's interesting on that, just, just to put, put a bit of um, extra on that, that although we're – looking at eight, eight or nine as, it's, as we sit today, mm. we've currently just offered on a site for 24. We've just, as I said, we were trying to do the one on for 50 because what we're finding is oddly, the larger the scheme, the greater the, or the more uh, open uh, options for exits are. Asset management companies, um, your, your PRS, you know, there's other exit yeah. options, which those yeah. kind of exits don't even come into play with nine units. So, and if, you, if you've got eight, you know, family houses, you've, or, or even executive houses, let's say, the problem is there, you don't have the option to rent them out as an alternative because the rents wouldn't stack up. You have to sell them. And probably the only tools in your bag are A, the quality of the product and B, the price of it. To, yeah, 100%. Yeah. To move on. So. Yeah. Um, okay. So we now go, because now we've got the... We've got some really good exit options for larger schemes. In effect, we've just got to find them. Um, and what they do is, of course, they step in and they actually forward fund. You know, these, these companies come in, as you know, and they'll forward the project right at the beginning, even purchase it, give you a golden brick term, and um, you've got an exit right from the beginning now to that delivery. And, of course, if you've got a good DMB contractor, then let's be honest, we're probably in a better place by doing that than we are building nine apartments that only has got... Yeah. But where does the risk lie? I mean, it's a, yeah. it's sort of yeah. an interesting debate. And it is about risk and removing the risk, isn't it? Because absolutely, I think, particularly in the sort of, you know, the uncertain economy that we're in at the moment, um, committing to a two or three, three year project and then having to sell it at the end of it to someone who, who's hopefully got the money to do it. There's, that's the risk. There's no getting away from that. And, and so if we can introduce i love that you know that the alternative exit strategies then it's it's just a smart thing to be doing but it's unlikely that for someone's first new build project they're going to take on 50 units which you know they're contracting to a housing association or a you know a, a yeah, exactly. university or whatever so um so to start with not a bad place but if we can do apartments maybe that we could refinance if we had to sit on them that's probably not a bad space to occupy yeah, I think I think the the, the, the five to ten apart ten units space is yeah. uh, is a, is a good place to operate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. So let's talk about when you're looking for sites. Are you what what, what are you looking for? Is it anything? Uh, you know, it, it, is it with or without planning or or both? Both. Or, yeah, yeah, both. Both. Yeah. Okay. If, if and, it, and, and, and without, are you trying to mitigate the risks with? option agreements or whatever yeah 100 percent, yeah we just got one in pearly um we, we met them about it's probably it was our quickest you know closing of a deal i have to say it was just pure you know if, if a seller's really willing you know what i mean you can always get there can't you it's, it's when it's 
you know, it's not, not a marriage, it's difficult, but in this instance, we met them about two months ago, two and a half months ago, I met a lady called Cheryl, a lovely lady. Um, it was a five bedroom house in, in, uh, in Atchin Purley. It was on the market for about, sorry, they wanted to sell it for about 800,000, 850, that's the house. And um, we've secured an option uh, on there with them, which means that they get an uplift, but it wasn't as much as if they could, if it had full planning on it. Yeah. Um, so we had a, a very small, uh, modest uh, planning uplift. If we, worst case, had to sell it before we, so we could we could at least come out with making some money and um, to build nine apartments. A lovely, beautiful, beautiful scheme. So that's the only one that we've dealt with that's been off market, if you like. The yeah. others will be on the market somehow, or a source has got hold of it, or an agent or someone. Yeah. Yeah. What research do you do to sort of make sure that you don't lose whatever money you put in to for the planning and the applications and, and all that? What, what kind? What do you do to mitigate that? Definitely, architect and a planning consultant. You know, they're your you know they're your two go tos for sure. And you know, I know you talk about power teams and stuff, but having a having people you can lean on really early that are well best place to say don't touch it lads honestly you know mm. we, we, no, never gonna happen you're in a whatever you're in an area of outstanding natural beauty it's a field move on yeah yeah you know unless you get a 20 year option or something you know yeah. yeah i i take it that you have these conversations before you've made the offer for the option before you've sort of agreed that you don't do it after once you secured that option that's right i mean literally if you've got good people you can lean on really quickly we jump on these things really fast i mean the, the opportunity came to us within two days i met the owner and within those two days we got comfort so i think sometimes you can't show um you want to show eager eagerness to the people that are in that position because albeit when people say oh it's only you were spoken to never ever do i believe that you know that it's never going to be the case. <laughs> you know, if I, you know, well, they say buyers are liars. I think sellers are the same. You know, but it's it just is what it is. And I think you just got to jump on these things really quickly. Uh, but also, what's happening around it? But that all comes from the architect. The architect will say, "Oh, by the way, next door's got planning," or you know, mm. it raises your chance of getting it. Yeah, and. Um... Are you looking at, you know, kind of rural projects, semi-rural, in-town developments, or a bit of everything? If the numbers stack, then yeah. we're looking... I mean, for example, if it's something a little bit more out of the way, yeah. then this could represent a care home opportunity. I think that depending on... I mean, we like, we really like the idea at the moment of not, all, not being all in non-residential. I think it's important to have some form of commercial... Um, experience uh so we like the idea of care home and uh, we've never done it um one of the architects we we work with do about three or four care homes a year so they're well placed to understand that market yeah so uh, i've just been sent one actually two days ago and uh for 100 units or more and uh the first thing i do is just send it straight to pete and uh literally within half an hour he's come back to say um carl can tell you why they're running for planning commission for care home it's right out of the way and no operator will touch it because there's no staffing nearby. And, you know, so it's at that point, we, we don't really even spend too much more time no. unless, unless the pre-application that's been, that's been done, yeah. there's more evidence there to support that, that, that an operator would take it. She said, I mean, so I think yes, but mainly towns, villages, city centers, or just outside, you know, or obvious infield sites or things like that. Mm. Yeah. Do you have a preferred end buyer that you'd rather sort of tailor your uh, projects to, or does it all depend on the location and the, yeah. the market and whatever? Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, that would, I mean, we, we have um, internal spec documents that are produced by a designer that then determines all of the, um, go back to the DMB element or even the construction management element. It gives us real more clarity on those particular bits of ironmongery and those bits, you know, so it kind of makes life easier, but M&E and things. But in terms of um, the end market, we're, we believe that at the moment, people are still buying, people are still selling, but they want your stuff. They want, they're buying the best for the right, for the best money. And uh, if you can create the nicest product generally, then I think that's a good place to be or a much better place to be. Um, 
Now, oddly, we only had a conversation yesterday, me and the guys, that it might be that we possibly keep the ones in Acton. We're possibly thinking about keeping those and because and, and, uh, they're just near Crossway also. For, for us, it was, we think the long game of that might be better, but we're a business and need to be cash flowed and need money back out. So we've got to try and work with these things properly. Um, so there's not one sort of specific market. You know, you've got people like McCarthy and Stone or whoever who are doing, you know, those retirement flats. And yes. I, I've got a couple of developer friends who are really specifically, they, they're saying the end of the market that they see moving really fast still is the first time buyer market and, and where they get, you know, help to buy, can buy with a 5% deposit. So they build specifically for that market. So you haven't necessarily niched down. So it could be executive houses. It could be apartments. It depends on the location or. Oh, we, we wanted to kind of coin the phrase um, affordable luxury and that's what yeah. continually Broadwind is standing for and where no matter what scheme we do we want it to be more than what they would expect for the money that they're buying it for and that's generally where we try and operate so all of which help to buy we're not doing none that are not yeah. you know um, in fact we, we are doing six uh, new stone built houses another set of six in uh, near Peterborough in a very very affluent village and uh, oranges on the back and you know oak staircases and all, all very l- lovely things going in there but again you know we want people to walk in not only to the the houses themselves but the development in general it's got to be you want people don't you to walk into your site going certainly if it's forever home stuff you know this is mm. oh that's it that's the, that's the place I've dreamed of you know, yeah. that's what we've got to make them. And uh, we've made the mistake in the past in the first six. We didn't really get that location right. You know, we've got to try and get um, the, the curb appeal as important yeah. as the house. You know. And, and the, in terms of the, you know, putting in those kind of, you know, slightly more luxurious and bespoke items like the oak staircases and, you know, probably I'm sure there's a lot of attention that goes into the kitchens and stuff like that. Mm. How are you, when you're doing your initial sort of desktop appraisal on it, so if someone comes to you and says, look, here's whatever, block of eight flats or something, and you get comfortable with the end values, which is an art in its own right, um, what figures are you putting in for A, the build cost, to say, well, I think roughly it's going to come in at this, and then B and we'll move on to this in a minute, the other costs, because those that get overlooked. So, you know, what, when you're doing that sort of dis, initial desktop appraisal, what are you, you know, are you saying, if I budget 18, 1700 quid a square metre, that's going to be broadly it? Or, or what, what do you do? So it's a, it's a little bit easier now, certainly on stone built houses, because we've done them. So it's easier yeah. now to determine what the overall cost will be. I mean, for argument's sake, around where, near around um, the Peterborough area, to build a stone-built house with probably a circa, um, we're talking a four or five bed, let's call it around a um, 2,000 square foot uh, type of size house with oak staircases, um, quartz worktops, probably around a 12 to 15,000 pound kitchen um, that will look like a 30,000 pound kitchen, but you know what I mean, with AEG or Bosch and you know, you do it half decent. Um, that will be around £135 a square foot. So that, will, that gives us a really good indication as to, as to how much that, that costs. Now, the underground is always the unknown mm-hmm. until, of course, we get the, is it going to be soakaways, attenuation tank, and you know, what kind of, how deep the footing's got to be, piles or not. So that part we don't know until we yeah. get the piles put in. So that's the only, we, we make some assumptions based on... Um, speaking to it what's really good just on this dealing if you when you speak to your architect at the beginning although you've not done any ground investigation on your site your architect will know a local structural engineer that has been operating in that area for years and as a general rule unless it's isolated commercial unit oil cars you know all of them let's take out the anomalies that are on the specifics but in terms of generally the area that that structural engineer will generally know oh that area is pretty much full of clay that will need to be two meters you'll have a general term so you can have an element of a pc sum associated to that so and that'll be for free you know your architect and and that will be outside of your 135 pound a square foot rough yeah or or, Um, well 
We, we, so on £135 a square foot, that would assume um, strip foundations and soakaways. Okay, yeah. So if we were to go attenuation tank and um, deeper footings, that might add probably maybe up to £10 a square foot, something like that. But that's okay. just houses are easier because we've yeah. done them. And yeah. apartments now, we're in a pretty good place because we're doing a few of them. So it now gives us a general uh, yeah. understanding, yeah. And we're, going to, we're talking a bit, a bit, a bit uh, in, in a minute about the, you know, the other costs that sort of come up, you know, through the build, and, and we've got some really good examples of, of of that, which you just couldn't necessarily foresee, or you know, you can't can't budget for sometimes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about those other costs in there at the moment because they're always the one. I, I don't know you've probably spoken to like people who say, okay, well, I've got the purchase price, and I know what the build cost is going to be, and therefore the bit over and above that's my profit. But that is not the case, is it? There's there's other costs involved, and yeah. um, it, we can rattle through them. Yeah, it's normally the professional fees. That's the yeah. the professional fees and finance costs when you're appraising. Yeah. They're, they're so when you're talking about professional fees, you're talking about your architect, your um, planning consultant, your project management fee, your discharge um, conditions. Yeah. All, all of that stuff. Then we've got our finance costs and then we've got our legal costs to buy, our legal costs to sell, our estate agents' fees and probably some other stuff, structural <laughs> surveys and stuff yeah. or whatever yeah. through there. So, so how do you, in, in this broad brush you know, analysis, which you, know, you need to be able to do quite quickly sometimes, yeah. what are you factoring in for, for that normally? Um, yeah, so we, we, we'll, we'll chunk it down. So we, like you say, you've got your buying costs, your stamp duty and your legal costs, as you know, in terms of buying. Um, then you've got your, um, so you've got your buying costs. Oh, we've got then, our sills. I forgot about the sills. Sill section. That's right. Sill. Yeah, all that beautiful, yeah. that beautiful thing that just. Yeah. You just got by it. Yeah. Okay. If you're not familiar with community infrastructure levy, uh, so this is the local authority tax for building something new, basically, isn't it? Is that the best way of phrasing it? That's right. And then you've got the mayor's sill on top of that £35 a square foot just because you know mm-hmm. why not why not <laughs> you know, yeah. why not stick that in there as well you know um, and interestingly enough it's something that um, so the, I had one sent to me yesterday and the agent said to me purchase price they want about it needs to be a 7 in it Carl and the GDB is about 4 million and there's about 19,000 square foot with a build for 9 houses I said okay no problem go. so we kind of so you look at that and see so you, you, you'd want to see your 20% margin I said, how does that, I said, I have to sort of take a deep breath because mm. you know, we're the ones that, as you know, take all the risk. So well and good. Mm-hmm. And I went, okay, so, so where's the finance cost coming? Where does the selling costs come in? Where does the minimum of £150,000 of the professional fees fit in? And he said, £150,000, where are you getting that? And of course, I'm now feeling like I'm having to explain this to the person. And now the irony is, but although we talk about this market still being uh, quite flat and not many transactions going on, the pieces of land are selling way more than what mm. any of us in, on this call would ever consider. And um, which I don't know. Great. I can't work out who's buying them. Any ideas? I the brave, the brave. I wonder whether there's people who come unstuck. I don't know. I just think they're 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 they're. Uh, I think in some cases you've got a building firm stroke developer that got people to pay. I think that it's better for them to take a project on. They might not even make any profit, but they've kept their guys they on. Pay their guys, yeah. But I, I don't really know. Um, yeah. But uh, unless we make a right. 25% margin, we are, we, we don't even consider it, you know. No. Um, but okay. unfortunately, it makes it harder to get them, <laughs> it makes them harder to find, you know, that's the problem. Yeah. But they are there. They are they are everywhere, and there's so many different ways to structure them: joint ventures and overage conditions. And if they sell for more at the end, and the buyer, the seller can get paid at the end. And there's a whole. We just need to be able to meet them. Yeah. And, you know. and and actually, some of these um, sort of conversations are. I remember we, we spoke before. So sometimes you know you you're talking to someone. You might be talking to them for a year before they're actually ready to make a decision because they've. You know, they've ummed an R, shall I do it myself? Oh, someone else might be interested until they get to a point where they're like, you're, you're the best bet. 100%, yeah. I mean, on the, the, the six that we're, we're just talking about um, for the six larger houses, one of the main reasons as to why we're doing it is that it, so we, I put the offering on the site about last March, 
fact is, no, it was before then even. Um, what's last year? 2018. 2017 is when the offer went in for the land. And they could sell it because there's a tenant in situ. It's a commercial site and there's a tenant in situ that wasn't coming to an end till, till that September. Well, anyway, we've got the, then the owner that happens to live in Belgium, uh, that, by the way, looks like a spitting image of Al Capone, by the way. And he flew over from Belgium to meet, uh, to meet us. Uh, we met at the German gymnasium restaurant in King's Cross. And he flew over with his attorney. And this was last year. And I'll never, ever forget this meeting. And he, he turned up and he sat down. And uh, it was all sort of, all a uh, lot of manner. It was, it, was, it was just hunched over the table with this chap. Harvey, he speaks very broken English. He's had his attorney there. But also speaks uh, from Belgium, but much better English. And his notepad, he's making all his notes. And um, so we said uh, how we would look to purchase it. There was me, Ben and, and Kenny. Uh, Kenny's involved in some, but mainly it's Emmanuel. And we sat around this table and he explained how we do it. So we said finance, roughly pay about nine, eight, 9% all in with fees to a finance company and so on and so forth. He goes, uh, okay, and he turned around and he said, uh, um, would you be open to a, a joint venture? And sort of just shook his head. And I looked at Ben and Ben looked at Kenny and Kenny then looked at me, all of us, three of us, looked at these, these three stooges. And we sort of said, well, yes, we would. How does that work? And I immediately, by the way, this is never ever judge a book by its cover. I think that's the, the biggest thing I learned from this and never then jump straight to a solution that you've done before because it might not be the right solution for it. Mm. But, but I didn't. But at that time, I didn't do it. So I literally went, "Oh, what we could do is you could put the land in, and what we could then do is raise the finance. So that's great. So therefore, we haven't got to find the money for the purchase, but it means that we can pay you more because we haven't got finance towards the purchase. Of course, you know, and then we all get paid at the end. That's so. I've just immediately gone in with square peg, and it landed straight into a round hole. And he turned around mm. and said, um, um, "No, he, he didn't like." This guy is a multi, multi-millionaire. He owns one of the largest balloon manufacturing companies in the world, uh, about 3,000 employees, and he'd sold it about two years prior. And um, you just, this, this is a tiny, well, tiny, about 14,000 square foot commercial unit in the middle of a very small village. And here, this guy that lived in Belgium, you never know who you meet, but and he turned around and said, um, I want no debt, I want no, I don't owe anything. I only operate in cash as in my, my money is used and nothing else so he said forget the bank finance why don't I lend all the money I'll put the land in I'll pay for everything including the planning costs and then we agree a land value you pay me the interest so in effect we're not paying it's, it just comes out of the profit if that makes sense it's proportional. Yeah, yeah and um, then take the interest out take the land value out everything else is split 50 50 and that's what we did so that's, okay. that's what that deal is. We've put no money in. We have no risk. We have no debt. If we go rogue for him, he still owns the site. He's got no debt. He's got no charges. He's home, he has total control. Okay. And he can just move it straight over to a new building firm. Okay. And, uh, the reality for us is we've got, we're putting it out to tender and a building contractor will step in on a traditional contract, JCT contract. And then, of course, we will manage the... the um, that so it's a jumping you know I mean? that I never ever ever in a million years thought that that kind of structure ever even existed mm. where the actual owner is funding everything you mm. know best part of two million pounds you know yeah wow you really never know do you and I you know is, is that you know when we've we, we you and I have sort of you know we've all learned this a million times you know just shut up and, and listen to what <laughs> they want to do <laughs> I just, anyway. but we're our own worst enemies I've done it I've done it loads of times. So, um, okay, so let's um, let's talk about the hiccups and the things that can go wrong, and you know, uh, in some case studies mm-hmm. of uh, um, you know things that have come along which you weren't necessarily planning for, and, and how you overcome those, and how you roll with the punches. So, um, I think you've got a, an interesting um, case study here where you had. Uh, the you know your professional costs were sort of significantly more than you thought. So this is is this the Selcroft Road one? Am I got yeah, the right one? There? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, and Warple Way was the same. But <laughs> well, let's talk about Warple Way first. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Um, so what what was it? And you know, and 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 what happened? 
Um, so basically, this what I'm about to talk about is relevant for all of the developments. I have to say, as a rule, that with um, with Warple Way, we bought the site as we did with. In fact, all three we bought with full planning. So the one being Huntingdon and, and Purley and Acton. But the one in Walkaway had full planning. And like with all of these things, you've got things such as um, the architects will hold the ownership of the drawings. So, so in terms of the, you can't, when you inherit and buy a site that's called full planning, you don't necessarily get the planning permission that comes with it, you know, because it means that the ownership of the drawing of the design is owned by the architect unless they release it. So do you have to buy that separately then? Um, it normally comes with it. So if a seller is selling it, then it normally comes with it. And if, mm. it's, if it's more of a complicated purchase, which this one was, it wasn't quite straightforward. You had a, a lender that had a charge. It was... Um, basically the people that owned it were in, I won't go into the full detail because you know but it's um that they're in a bit of a pickle there was high interest being paid every single month so it was getting to a critical stage for, for this we kind of got the heads up on this one so in effect we were kind of doing a survival um uh, almost to, uh, to, to 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 keep it alive type of situation where in effect now we're dealing directly with the bank that has the charge to make them comfortable that we could about it. It was a much more of a compl complicated uh, execution of the purchase. Uh, lawyers undertakings and money being shown to say that we can buy it. And there was a whole host of things like that going on with this one. Um, but that was on the purchase. But in terms of what, once we'd bought it and we then held the site, there was, and by the way, to answer your question, we did, in this case, we, we paid the invoices uh, that were owed to the architect, which then meant that we could then retain uh, mm -hmm. those drawings. So it was not that he was not willing to give it, it's the fact that you hadn't been paid. So, uh, or he was owed some money. So there was, and then the same goes for structural engineer. So we, on this scheme, we inherited a team. So we inherited the existing architect. We inherited the structural engineer that was already in situ. Um, party wall surveyor. This building is a factory. Were they were they planning on were they planning on were they going to plan on building it out themselves initially then or or That's right. they just got it to a point where it was ready to ready. okay well it was quite a way from being ready to do okay. um, there was so yeah. much complication with this it's on a it's on a street um, there needs to be a um, uh, a tunnel scaffolding tunnel that needs to be created therefore the police had to be involved to make sure there's correct lighting and obviously that could be a, a mugger's paradise if it's in a tunnel and you know that then the fire fire had to be involved to um with uh you know windows at a low level on a street which of course meant that people can gain access and security and you know all of a sudden these other parties that would never been involved had to be involved it was of all the projects, I think this is like probably one of the most complicated um, that we could ever imagine. But thankfully, um, what we had to do really early was engage a project management team over and above the design and build contract that picks up all of these pieces. You know, because what we found is that the building, um, party wall was one particular thing on this, which was extra costs. The building was connected on three sides. And it's a factory that's been demolished. So you can imagine um, not only have you got the street or the, the path, public footpath problem to face from a building being demolished with people walking up and down it and cars also driving up and down and so on. Uh, you've also got, got connected on three sides and these are all operating offices. Mm. And we then found that all of the buildings have been subletted. So... Yeah. Now you're not only dealing with one party wall, you're now dealing with several. Yeah. Mm. And now it starts holding yeah. hands and we're not going to let you do it unless we want this. And th th now this is not something that we deal with. Obviously, we then par pass this over to a party wall surveyor and this just took months to resolve. I mean, mm. you know, um, although something has planning and you see it and it gets sold by an agent and they say, this is ready to go. The reality is we're probably six months away from that ever being able to be built. You know, there are so many things that happen in the background and so many professionals and the professional costs on that are huge on that side. I mean, 
uh, I don't know. I, I, I'd need to. Um, uh, we've just had an updated appraisal from our QS, but we, we're we're well in excess of 180,000 or more just in design fees. You know, it's one of my questions about this one is that it's a disused factory. Mm. Um, a lot of people want to convert the disused factories into apartments to, you know, give it the trendy industrial sort of vibe that's going on at the moment. Yeah. Um, did it just work better in terms of numbers to just flatten it and start again? In this instance, it did. Yeah, um, because it was quite restrictive and mm. also allowed us to have an extra floor on it. And if we then fundamentally changed the structure of the building, it meant that you could add this extra floor on. So from a footings perspective, it needed additional piling put in to be able to have this extra floor. So it was a really, as I say, a really um, complex. And the, 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 the people that sold it are such fantastic, fantastic people. They just bit off more than they can chew. I mean, that's basically the long and short of it. And um, I think any of us could. And if we didn't have our professional team around us, if we didn't, if we weren't to... And I think this is something as well. In back, you're all, I'm not going to spend ten grand. Surely I can find that out myself. The mm -hmm. problem, you don't. You've got to pay the professionals to do it. That's what they're positioned. And uh, obviously, you can negotiate with them and say that we've got more work. Could we, could we reduce this price slightly? You can have those conversations, but they know their worth. They know that you don't know what what they do. So I think that's an important thing to to take out from it. Um, but yeah, party wall was definitely something that that we hadn't realised was going to be quite so <clears throat> problematic and time-consuming. And then there's the, 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 the general design design element. Uh, we've got the uh, the interior design company that do all of the um, floor layouts, and I have to say, were fantastic because what they did is they almost took the internal current planning permission. That was nine apartments, by the way, with a with a an additional workspace. A lot of sites in and around London we found was that to stop people from travelling and parking and using their cars, they're saying, "Well, this generate uh, it's a great it's a, a a better chance to get planning if you create what's equivalent to like a two bedroom apartment in size for workspace in an apartment block, yeah. so it allows people to work from home." So they can have computers set up and a chill out area and all that type of thing. But it's a difficult one, that isn't it? Because you're you're losing a unit and it probably doesn't have a value to to it in, in terms of, you know, that no one's paying any rent on it. No one's no one's buying it. So you're just, I guess, factoring in well, there's an additional uplift in the value of it per apartment for having it. Mm. Maybe on the on the flip side, I would probably be willing to pay a little bit more to have that yeah. facility um, yeah. in my apartment block. Complete. It's a really lovely scheme. Now, the irony is that, hence, when you speak to a planning consultant at the beginning, uh, we're just about to get full planning permission for the 10th unit, so we're converting it into a 10th apartment, mm. uh, which made a real big difference on the profit margin. And the only reason we were unable to do that is our planning consultant could really see a loophole with um, the... It was something to do with that if the, if the doors were wider, basically it allowed for people that were, could be of an older nature or um, disabled access, that, that that trumps the workspace. Yeah. So it allowed us to put a 10th unit in. Now, we haven't got the planning permission yet. We're due, we're, uh, the consultant spoke to the planner about a week ago, and it looks like we're just about to receive it. That made a, it, was, it was working out financially only around nine, let alone for 10. So now we're getting the 10th unit. That, therefore, gives us the ability to be able to remortgage, refinance, and keep all those if we wanted to. So that's why that one, yeah. outside all of the rest, is um, financially working out different. So it's, it's a challenge. I'm, I'm looking at the brochure as we speak, actually, and it's a challenging site for the contractors. It's You want to see this? The, the, well, so I think there are some pictures of the scaffolding. It's yeah, just, I, I've got them. Yeah. I, I'm actually going next Wednesday because it's almost demolished. I can't wait. To, uh, but they actually put in um, these machines. So actually remote control machines would go in um, and they were smacking out walls and these remote control cars. But I mean, it's fasc fascinating yeah. how they're... Because uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with all the, you know, uh, all the waste through the build period as well because it's not an obvious place for escape, is there? It's, it's, it's being hand demolished. Yeah. Hand demolished. It's just a, you know. That sounds really time consuming. 
hand demolishment. Um, how long do you think it's going to take? Or do you think Demol- it's have demolish- a huge impact? Demolishment? Yeah, I know. I, don't. I didn't want to say. <laughs> I didn't want to say. Demolition. Demolition, that's it. Wait, wait, wait till we start talking about archaeology. You will never get that. You'll be, that word yeah. never says it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the demolition. Um, it's, demolition. Uh, the, it, the, um, yeah, so, so it, it's not as bad, but it's taking, uh, because it wasn't necessarily the, the, the demolition, it was more the propping before the demolition. So the actual, we had to have an individual propping company that came in to put all these kind of beams and things to, as it was uh, being demolished, that they fall inwards. So mm. it was a lot of that, but that took about two weeks. And then the demolition. That is a difficult thing to factor in on the costs on the appraisal, isn't it? All, all of that stuff. It's just... It's, but we, we've, uh, so I'm just trying to think back on this. So we did... Uh, no, this one we had a some good ideas of what we thought. The, we had enough people, two or three companies say you're looking at around that number. You know that was the best that we because we had to be purchasing this pretty quickly. Um, but the defined bill cost didn't come in until after we purchased. So yeah, and the, I'm, I'm looking at the bill cost now because the bill cost is not astronomical at all is it for for 10 apartments you're looking at what one 1.4 million uh yeah it's gonna probably be a little bit more we think yeah. um but yeah it's it's not as it's not as bad no it's not as no. bad um and it depends on the building firm depends on how busy they are depends mm. if you stack them up in the means all of you know what it's like mm. it's, we just happen to uh um yeah. be introduced to them through the QS company that we're using that went out to tender and yeah. this company that they've used before just happened to have been available. Yeah. Now let's skip on to you. You mentioned archeology. span oh. so Let's talk about that. Archaeologist. Archaeologist. <laughs> <laughs> you should phrase that. You should, that's, what, that's got to be on your Facebook. That's, we're going to actually use that in the article now. <laughs> on the front cover of the magazine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So this is presumably not uh, Carl, Indiana Jones, Spencer, um, quite. But what, this is a different scheme. So this is on your Castle Point residence farm, which is a, a, a new build scheme, mixed scheme of houses and and uh, apartments. Beautiful so, design, this one. Yeah. 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 It, it, uh, uh, rural location, semi or rural, or is it? Right in the town centre. Is it? Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So. And did you did this come as a surprise that this was going to happen? This is a really well. It's, this might be interesting to me, and I don't want to bore anyone, so I'll, I'll keep, I'm going to keep this brief um, the best that I can. But in essence, when we exchanged last year prior to this having full planning, so the deal was yes, we agreed to this price subject to planning. The sellers uh, were getting the planning permission, not us, and that's okay because they were paying for it ultimately, but nevertheless, that, that's what was going on. And so there was no conditions. There was no, because uh, the planning permission is not coming yet. So we said, okay, fine. Then the planning permission came in in December of last year. So we paid them a, a 5% deposit. Then the, uh, then the planning permission came in. When the planning permission came in, what we do straight away and I advise anyone to do it, is when you look at the planning decision, immediately look at the conditions. So look at your pre-commencement conditions, not so much about the prior to occupation, because that can happen throughout the build, but it's what's going to stop you from starting. Where's your real Achilles heel? And normally, normally, depending on the scheme, as you know, you'll get things like drainage design. or um, It could be um, they want to. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember what it's called now, but you know, the kind of wildlife survey, isn't it? Is one of them. Of, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you know, like slow worms or whatever and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. And the tree reports and all that kind of stuff. The, and the external materials, really, you know, as you know, is something got to be done. So you got to do all that first before you can start putting your spade in the ground, which will take minimum of eight weeks. So you know, when you buy a site, you're looking at at least three months really by the time you can start because you're four weeks to get the designs done and eight weeks worth of conditions to be, uh, to be uh, discharged. But in this instance, when the planning commission came through in December, Ben Arm was already exchanged. 
So now we're bound to complete by the term of the contract. And as I look through, I just noticed archaeology. So with that, I've just fired that, forwarded that straight to our architects and said, could you just have a quick look at these, what, what position we're going to be in, in uh, conditions and what needs to be. And that, this came with about four or five different conditions to be discharged, which is definitely more than usual. You know, maybe two or three. But in this instance, there was, yeah, for, I'm sure there was four or five. Anyway, one of it's archaeology. That then opened a whole can of worms, basically, because what that did then show is that, um, so with that, I then, um, the sellers said, oh, that's okay, don't worry. Um, we've used a local archaeology company. Give this company a ring. So I gave this company a ring, and it just so happens that the company I ran was bought out by MOLA, the um, Museum of Local Archaeology, which they're based in London, as far as I know. Anyway, I spoke to them, and unknown to any of us, an archaeology report was done back in 2008, which the sellers had full knowledge of, which wasn't disclosed. So what that therefore meant was we've exchanged on a site that comes with an archaeology issue, which to, to the tune of we had a quote from MOLA to discharge this condition that came to £275,000 and what they classed as an open checkbook situation. Now, that is literally, as it would suggest, they can give their best case situation, but basically, who knows? We've now paid X amount of pounds to the architect. We've paid X amount of money to the exchange, and we're now in a situation to say, right, do we lose the opportunity of losing that deposit money, or do we go headfirst into this and find out how bad could this be? We deliberated over this at the same time we're being forced to complete. <laughs> so this was, a, this was an absolute nightmare situation in something that nobody would ever wish my worst enemy in this situation. As it happens, we reached out, we spoke to some structural engineers, and we all felt that there was a chance to mitigate the ground investigation, i.e. we could minimise the excavation. Mola was saying it needed 500 man hours and about uh, three months, hence why it cost so much money. What we ended up doing is spending 20 odd thousand pounds in structural engineer costs, which determined that you can raise the level of the accessing car park, which took care of about three quarters of the site, and the L shape of the building could have a pile of piling on the front, which in effect floats above the archaeology level, which brought the cost of the archaeology down to 60,000. Now this made this work, but we acted in, we ended up getting a £50,000 reduction on the purchase price because there's an element of moral obligation from the sellers. They understood this all happened over the space of five or six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up buying the site and we are now, as it were, like that photograph I sent over to you, all those nice little blue flags <laughs> in that picture is Roman findings and medieval findings, but it's all very normal stuff that they expected. But I was going to say, what were they looking for? You know, were they expecting to find like an old graveyard with loads of skeletons there or were they just you know, finding coins and small little hammers? Yeah. Kind of things of not, of not major significance. So they, it's littered with archaeology. That, that, that's a given. It's next to a castle, hence Castle Moat. So hence the, maybe we should think about the name of the road. Again, next time we go to purchase a site. Um, so, uh, but it's littered with Roman and, and some medieval and some furnaces and stuff like that. Now, actually, when I went on site uh, last week and I was there with the archaeologist, it's interesting how two people can look at a site with two different sets of eyes. You know, he's thinking this is his best dream in the world. Literally, it's amazing. You know, he can't, he's excited, enthusiastic. They're sweeping things. They can't, I have to show you, we've just found this. And as a developer, I'm going, how long is this going to be? <laughs> We, can you please do this in half the time? You know, that's all very good. Thank you very much. Now, you, we're looking at risk, debt, bank, when can we get our first drawdown? You know, and all those things are kicking off in the back of my mind. But actually, um, if you start to fall in love with the complexity, like I said right at the beginning, this is just development, then it gives you a, an element of breathe. You can breathe a bit. You can kind of go, actually, let's just take a minute. 
how do we use this as part of, of the scheme? That means that we're going in for a couple of awards, uh, which is uh, one's called the Silver Award and, and then something else, um, which is of uh, archaeology, uh, uh, architectural excellence because of the design. It also means that because it's a difficult site, it can also come with that you're trying to preserve the archaeology, uh, which is what happens. Um, and actually, you can start to fall in love with the scheme and incorporate that somehow, which is what we're doing. And actually, it's really interesting. Um, and, now, and from, a from a buyer's perspective, it's really interesting to know that you're buying a house which is on an old moat and it's sort of standing on loads of really cool old, old stuff. <laughs> correct. That's right. And that, it's, it's sort of... Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's really quite interesting and, uh, and I can't wait to go back in a few weeks time because at that point there's going to be a tour, which means that they bring the Cambridgeshire Council archaeologists that come out and they then determine all of these bits and, mm. and actually these things are quite interesting and, and now, I, now, I, now, if I reverse the clock back, if we'd have known archaeology, we'd have never offered. But here we are, now probably being, the result will be the real, the, the real telltale but it makes us less fearful about looking at sites with archaeology again. So yeah. I think it's, um, you just, yeah, probably learn from these things. Every day is a school day. Slightly Absolutely. off topic, are you allowed to keep any of the stuff that you, that's found? Well, that part I don't know about <laughs> part, but the question I asked was, well, what if we found like the next Jorvik Centre or something, you know, like, you know, there's something of major significance. How does that work? And well, what happens is the developer, and by the way, this is not possible, but I've, I've heard this from the archaeologist, that the, the developer retains 30% of the value and then the rest is given to a museum or whatever's the situation. You are Indiana Jones after all. <laughs> yeah, see? It's all good. It's all good. You need stuff. a hat. Hat and a whip. You'd be <laughs> yeah, not a whip. No, no, no. I'm not maybe sure. You, maybe you already got one of those. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> That's your business, so. <laughs> well, it just so happens, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, you know, um, John, where do we go next from here, from archaeology? So, okay, let's, let's just kind of rewind a bit as we get towards the end of this, this call, because we're going to put all of the case studies into the actual article and just say, you know, where you are now, from where we spoke, you know, just, you know, over a year ago, yeah. No, it's been a big learning experience, and it sounds like you are enjoying the very much roller coaster ride of it. Um, not not but, No, obviously, and 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 actually, do you know what? That's a really important point, isn't it? Because social media posts—they, I think, we all get social media envy, don't we? You know, you see the highlights of people's lives, you see them loving every second of what they do, but the, the reality is, is that that's not reality, is it? So, you know, the highs. And, and definitely the lows. So um, is this a journey that you would embark on again? You know, do, do you feel like you've made the right choice? What, what, would, what would you be doing kind of differently? Because you mentioned you're looking at other strategies to kind of run alongside this now of income generating now. So the, the lesson, I guess the sort of key lessons you've learned over the last couple of years. Um, I think when someone says, would you, I think if, if, if I knew uh, if I thought that it would be the journey that we've had right at the beginning, the chance I probably wouldn't have done. But the reality would have been that there'd been a massive overwhelm at the beginning. I think that you grow into a business. Do you, do you know what I mean? I think that you, um, you you simply can't know all of that detail at the beginning. If that's the case, you would just implode. So I think that you um, you need to grow into the business, grow into the, becoming the person that you are. I remember the first time I went on site and, and houses are being built. And it's a really odd feeling of being perhaps employed in the past and being this person that you looked up to. And now all of a sudden you're in a position where you go on site and you're the owner of this situation. And it's a really odd feeling. It's a, I don't feel, I don't feel ready. This feels weird. Um, I don't know how to be. I didn't tell anyone for probably the first four or five months. Nobody on site even knew who I was. They just thought I was someone that worked with the builder. So it was a it was a weird um, growth for me at the beginning. And of course, as you as you you know, and as you go on, I still now don't turn up and say, "Oh, my name's Carl, I'm the owner." You know, you know, it's I, I'm not bothered. You know, that those things couldn't care for me. It's 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 you're part of what's making all this happen, and uh, mm -hmm. and the relationship needs to be with the builder and the tradesman. It doesn't need to be with me. 
And um, so I think that was a, uh, you grow into it, I think. Yeah, I think also if you're all in on something, your, your results will come quicker, good and bad, by the way, because we need to be, we need to have the bad as we know to, to know what not to do next time. Um, as we go through, for example, you mentioned about different strategies, one of which is, is the finding of sites and, give, and uh, uh, selling those on to uh, developers. So we've got like a consultancy business that we're, we're now starting to do, where we are the joint venture with them, or we get a consultancy fee at the beginning. But this is not a, this is not a deal sourcing scenario. This is more of a, um, I wouldn't say gift wrapping, but deal sourcing is a, I find a site, I've got instruction from the owner. I'm, I'm not saying all, but this meets we find typically a lot happens. And you just sell it, you're just trying to punt it off to developers. What's the GDV? What's the overall square footage? What's the overall situation? You know, there's a whole host of answers that are never done. What we do is we fill all the gaps. Can it be enhanced and so on? So I think that's an important component. But if we then veered off and started doing HMO meant to rents, that's going, to be a, uh, that's going to be a distraction away from us being able to grow the business. So that, I think, is uh, uh, an important thing. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Well, we said this was going to be, before we came online today and we were ch- I was chatting with Ang Howard earlier on this morning, said it's going to be a big interview this one. We've got a lot to cover. And, and it wasn't, we were wrong, were we? You know, we really no. weren't wrong. And, um, I love the podcast interview that we did before and it has been an absolute pleasure to have you back. You know, one of Property's genuine nice guys um, and, uh, you know, one of our all-time favourite guests on the podcast. Well, right back at you. Right back at you, mate. Yeah, what you guys, what you guys do is is fantastic and, and may it continue. Thank you. It's, uh, Thank you. Yeah, which, you know, we're... Can't 11, hear that enough. <laughs> 11 and a half years in now. That's mental, isn't it? So, I for you. Um, I think it's only three for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Newcomer, yeah. <laughs> New kid, steal a dinner money quickly. So, well, look, absolute pleasure. Um, you know, great catching up with you again, and and let's let's do it again. Let's do it again, absolutely. And share. And we need, we need to grab a coffee because we yeah, we do. Yeah, we're, oh, we're only invited? we're only we're only two hundred and sixty miles apart or something. That's nothing. Weather, fine, Birmingham. Birmingham's sort of in the middle, I think. So yeah. We should definitely meet up though. Let's do that. That'd be lovely. Really good. Okay. All right, you can come as well, Harry. Don't worry. Oh, so, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, look, you, you go and check on your extension and I'll go and see what they're doing in my kitchen at the moment. So, <laughs> Good to see you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff. You can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials, um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you.